Well, it's another week, another episode of Digging Deeper, yep. and another tripping hazard question that uh, we looked at this past Sunday, asking the question of whether or not the biblical views of sex and sexuality are relevant or are they outdated? And uh, man, it was so fun to get to preach that and feel like you're walking on eggshells the entire time. So I'm not going to be doing this podcast by myself. That's why I've brought uh, Pete and Robert on to answer all the questions that came in in light of the message. Yeah. So we've got a lot of questions that did come in. And uh, I think you're gonna kind of run us through them, Robert. We're gonna try to do our best. If those watching, listening, we're gonna try to almost rapid fire. Like yeah. each one of these could be an episode in and of itself, um, but trying to honor all of you who did send them in, we wanna at least try to address them. And some may be just like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. there's some tough questions, but um, yeah, any any thoughts or anything to, to start us off with before we jump right into the questions? I would just say with this kind of topic, I know that questions usually beget more questions on this um, types of things. And so if you have more questions, there's also a number that you can text. It'll be in the show notes or something like that. Um, so, so please continue to ask questions. We want this to be a dialogue and to continue kind of talking through and searching after together. And so you guys ready to just jump into some questions? I wore my uh, Mr. Rogers cardigan today. It looks nice. Because no one can be mad at Mr. Rogers, <laughs> okay. no matter what he says. <laughs> whether or not Mr. Rogers ever had sex or not, we don't know. Oh, no, my goodness. <laughs> what? Wow, you wow. went there. Okay, went there. okay next first question. You went there. First okay. question was, in community college, while taking an ancient literature class, a professor said that Song of Songs, or Songs of Solomons, written by King David... Um, what was, I almost laughed at his description, the Hebrew Kama Sutra. Any accuracy to that or was her information wrong? So is Song of Solomon yeah. the Hebrew Kama Sutra? That's what we're yes, wondering that's, about? That's, that's what it's, that's Good thing we have an ancient historian here, uh, yes. Dr. Goodman. <laughs> is that the Hebrew Kama Sutra? Uh, well, we don't actually think it was written by King David. Okay, but, yeah. Uh, I paused. I would say that... Um, there's probably something there in the sense of I, I would be say if I have any expertise, it's not in the Kama Sutra. <laughs> I've never even seen it, much less read it. Um, but if by that you mean something that was meant to potentially educate young men about sex, there's probably a role in that. Yeah, that that's definitely the a song thing. of songs would play. Um, they would wait to read it until their bar mitzvah for sure. They weren't allowed to read it before then. I'm sure there was something about all of the Torah was in some way meant to educate and train. So um, I don't, I think we're in light of the whole conversation though, again, I'm speaking from ignorance here, but my surface level understanding of the Kama Sutra is more a sense of like glorified sex with anybody you want to kind of thing. Um, that certainly wasn't the intention of this book by any means. Yeah. Um, so it glorifies a monogamous relationship more than anything. Um, so in that sense, they're nothing alike, but if we're talking about a way of like having a sex conversation with a young person, a child or something like a, a young man, I, I, there could be something there. Okay. So yeah. Probably not a book you want to read to young children though, right? I mean, there's, there's wisdom in it all. All scripture <laughs> is given. <laughs> okay. Okay. All, all right. Here's some other questions. How about this one? Can a husband or wife lust after each other or is that simply desire? What do you guys think? I mean, I lust after my wife. I mean, but I guess I would call it desire. I think it's a it's a matter of probably vocabulary that like I have a yeah. very strong 
attraction and arousal towards my wife. Um, As you should. Yeah, and I think that when, probably the word lust usually is outside of the context of that, um, taking the desire outside of the fire pit, so to speak, that, but it's still the same feelings I would have of being turned on or find attraction to somebody, but I definitely have that for my wife and it's resulted in four kids and beyond that, so. I don't know. You the, guys think differently? The one part where I think that it could become problematic is in the situation of spousal abuse. Hmm. Um, if one spouse is trying to coerce another spouse into to letting them use their body for their own you know, selfish pleasures and things like that, that could become, maybe not lust is the right word, maybe it's just abuse and things like that too, but there there is a possibility, I think, for sin, even within a marriage, that yeah. you have to make sure that you're you're entering even the bedroom just selfless and and really have the right Christ like framework in that. Yeah, when it's we good. do premarital counseling, we always like your body is not your own, her body is not your own, those yeah. types of things. But you still there's still conscience involved from both, yes. and so violate the other's conscience by potentially wanting to do something they're not comfortable with. Like there has to be that conversation versus like oh nope, I mean it's yeah. it's you know full full game on whatever like that that's. That can go where it gets dangerous, I think. Yeah. So, so I think it's worth mentioning that. I don't know. I, this is probably one of the situations where it'd be helpful to have my Bible open. Um, I'd be curious, though. I think that's Matthew 5 or 6. Yeah. Um, does Jesus say lust after a woman who's not a spouse, or does he just say lust after a woman? Because I'm pretty sure the context is he who lusts after a woman is not your spouse. Yeah. That's the context. Um, I think. So, yeah. yeah, I would say like, the English word obviously has connotations of something bad, lust. Um, but I think within the context of a marriage, you're just talking about normal sexual desire. So yeah, yeah. Second part of that is is viewing porn, committing adultery within a marriage. Hmm. Robert, <laughs> <laughs> um, is it sinful? Is it wrong? Um, is it adultery of the heart? I think when your your marriage is meant to be you and your wife. You know, so including anyone, whether they're virtual, digital, whatever, um, else into your sex life, I think is going to rob you and is going to steal away from God's best for you in your marriage. And it will lead to more destruction than it will construction. And it's just not wise. And I think that it'll pervert God's perfect plan for sex in your marriage. Absolutely. Well, I think it also leads itself down the road of finding desire outside of your wife, right? And so you're, or, or husband for that matter, it could be either spouse, but like you are, you are shaping your, you know, brain in many ways, neural pathways to yeah. find attraction and being enticed by someone other than the one you've committed your life to, which definitely is a pathway towards adultery. Yes. Um, I know if you were to talk to my wife, like she, she wouldn't say her husband, you know, I've been honestly, I went to therapy for, you know, pornography use, um, 12 years ago, and um, she felt cheated on. I mean, it, it feels worse and more scandalous. We say you you had an affair or you were an adulterer, but like yeah. at the same way, she, she felt violated the same way you do an adultery and that I was with someone else. I think that, um, but I think it's, she's forgiven me, so I don't, I don't know. Like I, I think how you classify it, it, it feels different. Like I didn't go and be with another person, but I definitely chose to like look at another person and you know, give myself over to that image or whatever. So, and I think that also the context that I read, and I know that some couples will watch pornography together um, as a way of exploring and learning. 
And to me, that is a recipe for disaster because it'll create in your sex life with your married spouse, um, even the sense of comparison with what they're watching from actors on a screen or whatever mm. it is too. And so um, I would just highly advise against that and yeah. say it's, yeah. it's not wise. Yeah. So remarriage, it's a hard one. Yeah. Is this truly adultery? If so, how do the remarried couple biblically handle this? It's a really complicated question. This becomes like crickets on this one because yeah. it is a because there's yeah. a large portion, and I would say even people that attend our church that that would be probably their story that someone's been divorced and and, yeah. and remarried. And I'm just gonna be honest to say I have not spent the time I should to really dig into Jesus's words on this one or Paul's in First Corinthians seven. Um, so I don't has have either of you no. a little bit I. A few thoughts would come to mind. The first is um, questions two and three actually have a little bit of connection in the sense of context. Jesus is talking to the Mount, and in question two is committing pornography adultery. Um, so Jesus basically says, "You've heard it said, don't commit adultery." I in say, "If you even lust after a woman, you're doing yeah. it." Now, as a as as someone who approaches the Bible and wants to read it as God's truth. So, okay, I'm reading the words. I'm saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving what's being said to me. A challenge is always, um, because we know in other places that the Bible has what we call hyperbole mm. or n not exaggeration in the sense I'm making something up, but like, like Jesus says, if you don't hate your father and mother, you can't follow or me. cut off your hand. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Like there are times that yeah. Jesus is like speaking, maybe verbose is a better word, like over the top to yeah. really make a point. I don't personally think that Jesus would say, and again, okay, this is my opinion. Sorry. This is my opinion. Um, I think Jesus was speaking over the top when he said lusting is adultery. And the reason why I say that is because the word adultery carries with it this actual act between two human yeah. beings, like the heaviness of it, the weight of it, the seriousness of it. <clears throat> I think what Jesus was doing was, he was getting to the root, the heart issue. I think it's getting to the heart. Yeah, and the yeah. heart issue is you guys think that it, as long as you follow the letter of the law, as long, oh, you know, I didn't do anything. He's like, no, no, your 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 sin is crouching at your door. You're bringing destruction. Like you're 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 already doing things that are going to affect your marriage. Um, and I think there's something similar here because even in, um. Even in the ancient world, like I, I think you have examples of remarriage happening. Um, and I think for Jesus to say this, my take on it in the context is there is a bit of a strong wording to like make a point. And I think the point is specifically he references, again, I wish I had my Bible open. He references giving a certificate of divorce. And so, and then he'll go on to talk about this. And so what you have in the ancient, ancient Torah was God allowed for divorce, mm -hmm. but he forced the man to offer this written piece of paper saying that he made this decision and that she should be allowed to still have rights. So within that context, number one, a woman doesn't, a woman couldn't leave the man. It was a male dominated society. Yeah. The man could leave. And it came to a point where the Jewish people had taken that little law, which was designed, the purpose of that law was not to condone or promote divorce. It was to make sure that women were taken care yeah, of. Yeah. And that had turned into its own abusive thing where you had Jewish men whose wife would burn dinner and be like, I'm divorcing you. Here's your certificate. I obeyed the law. 
and mm-hmm. as if he was now doing an okay thing because he followed the law, quote unquote. And for Jesus to say like, you think that because you provide a certificate yeah. that divorce is okay. He's like, no, no, like, <laughs> like I, none of that was given because I was, God was ever okay with divorce as no big deal. It was given because God was trying to protect women. And I think you have something continuing in this. And I, and I'm saying that because of his reference to the certificate, his reference to the certificate was about protecting women. And I think now you're fast forwarding quite a few hundred years, but you're still in an ancient male dominated world. Divorce was still bad for women. If your husband left you, you were destitute. Like even if you have that piece of paper, so what? No one's going to remarry you. You and your kids are going to probably be halfway homeless, you know, begging on the streets or turning to prostitution. So in the context of divorce there, I think he's, in my opinion is he is speaking towards men. Um, He wasn't necessarily speaking towards a mutual whatever. And I'm not saying that he was okay with that. I'm saying in this context, men were the ones that chose to leave their wives and they had the the legal right to it. So for him to basically, because he even says, and if you, it's all the male language. If you marry a divorced woman, right? He's not talking to, he's actually talking to men. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul does talk to women. Yeah, and well, Corinthians is a little different. I'm just talking right. in the context okay. of Matthew that it does look like, and again, I'm not justifying divorce. Yeah, Divorce is not God's plan. God's plan is that two people stay together for their lives. Yes. I think though in this context where he's using this really heavy language, I think there's something here about the flippant, Oh, I filled out a. I I don't I don't like my wife anymore, so I'll just give her the certificate and leave her, and I'm covered under the law. And Jesus saying, "You're missing the whole point of the law. Moses was only given that rule by God because your hearts were hardened." Um, and so, I'm not trying to say that Jesus was okay with divorce, as if oh, nobody's going to get divorced. I think throughout the scriptures and even in the Corinthians, we see that it's not God's plan. God wants us to work through these things. But I think the heavy, really serious language here is probably aimed at men who were flippantly leaving their wives because, you know, whatever. She, yeah. She's not as pretty as she was 20 years ago, or I found someone better. So here's, here's a divorce paper. I'm good to go. And he's saying, no, no, you're completely abusing the law and missing the point. Um, and you're sinning in this moment. So I think there's a big part of that in that passage when he talks about committing adultery. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea of, of divorce in general is probably a much deeper conversation about how God stands on it. Yeah. Um, it's Matthew 5, 31, 32 is the verses that Pete's referring to. Yeah. And then 1 Corinthians 7 also talks about it. So, yes. Yeah. So if you want to study and read on your own, yeah. those are two places in the Bible that you can certainly look to and dive in. Next question. How can someone from the LGBTQ plus community say they believe in God? A lot of the time you hear, I was born this way. How can that be if there are clear guidelines in the Bible? I think I struggle with what sounds mm-hmm. like the heart behind that question. Yeah. Because there's also, I don't know who wrote it. Yeah. It, 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 it kind of, to me, has a little bit of a, a funk of self-righteousness. <laughs> like there are, are other sins that probably the person who wrote that commits that are written about in the Bible, but this person still gives himself over to it. Yes. And so yeah. how can they say they're a Christian? Even at a lifestyle level. Yeah, yeah. at a lifestyle level, whether it be in, in, a, in a sexual uh, pursuit or something completely different in yeah. um, ethics Greed or something. Or so, yeah. so I think that like, you know, in my, you know, exploration, so to speak, in this topic over the last 10 years of trying to understand LGBTQ plus and all this stuff and talking to people who are gay and talking to people who feel like that they were either born that way or it was no way is more of home life uh, that, that brought about. 
like what it's done ultimately is create a lot of empathy because there's there's it's hard to put everything categorically. So there's this one there's one line of thinking. It's like, well, sin has corrupted everything. And so part of the corruption could be that, that people are born with particular tendencies or sure. desires that are not what God intended. Um, and and because of that, then that they could be potentially born gay. We also know that if you look at statistics, a lot of those who do identify with the LGBTQ plus have a lot of household dysfunction. Not all, but some come from a lot of household dysfunction, um, being berated, saying things like that. And, and it kind of led them uh, in that direction as well. So, so I just think that there is so much confusion around this. Yeah. Um, that, and, and, it, and instead of saying it's that you, you can't be born or you are born or it's home or not home, nature, nurture, all that stuff. Like it is like people are trying to explore finding the Lord, loving Jesus, but also dealing with the things that are within them that may not be in alignment with Jesus. And there are a lot of things within me that I have desires toward that I don't believe are in alignment with Jesus, but yeah, it doesn't make same. me not a Christian. Yes. Now, the practice of those things also, I don't think, makes me not a Christian. Um, but if I continue to like say, I don't care what Jesus says, and I continue to use grace as an excuse to keep on sinning, that that is not honoring the relationship I have with Jesus by any means, but to just kind of black and white say it's so obvious. And how could they say they're a Christian? If it's like they're the tithing is you could say so obvious, and most Christians don't do or that. <laughs> they don't you know? give. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like and you're like, you well, it. then how can they be yeah. a Christian? Because it seems so obvious in the Bible. You're supposed to be like overly generous. So um, I think that's where I, I, and there's a little bit of me that kind of like Rest rears up on that one. Like ah, that, that seems kind of rough to say that i so. think in our culture we have become so self-empowered and so we want to all live our truth and our truth is usually not really just our truth it's usually defined by a people group or community or a belief system that we've prescribed to yeah. and so it's easy i think to point fingers um because then what, what we do to protect our truth or our own self-empowerment is we play the blame game and we start to point out you know and we see this from people that are morally we might say they're 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 morally more risque or they go in a different direction than us or they think separately we'll, we'll see them say things like well this is how i choose to live my life and if and if all these people disagree with me and say these different things then they're bigots we, we'll play the blame game but i think christians can do that same thing where we can be self-empowered in our own thing and, and hopefully our truth is rooted in the bible and rooted in what god says and so we believe that it is true but we can play the blame game by saying by pointing fingers at everybody else to try to substantiate our own belief system and I think that that's a fallacy. I think it kind of creates divisions. It doesn't create a peaceable fruit um, that I think we're really looking for, but it's kind of the way of our culture. And I think Christians need to be mindful and watchful. They don't fall into the same trap that we often accuse people from different people groups of it the same way. I think this question is a little bit like a text message. Um, <laughs> we, Explain we that. <laughs> um, the, I'm not telling anyone they should watch the, the old show Key and Peel, but it makes me laugh a lot. Literally, they do this skit where they these two guys text each other, and uh, it shows them both at separate places. And one guy's like, "What's up, dude?" And he like reads the text. And what's up? Not much. He's like, "Oh, not much." So you're just gonna play me up? And like the one guy's sending these like super I innocuous, yeah. calm texts. Yeah. And like, you, you what? And he's getting mad because he doesn't read. There's no way to understand the tone yeah, the of this person. The context. And yeah. I would say like. I, I probably read it the same way as you did, but if I could give this person some maybe some That's charity, I yeah. would say That's this. Good. 
a legitimate issue is, and I was so here's like, we had some, we had a Memorial Day party yesterday at our house, not part of friends over and we, we cooked out in the back. I am a committed follower of Jesus who believes the Bible's God's word. And the Bible says it is a sin to overeat. And I ate four s'mores last night. Um, so like, it's possible for a believing Christian follower of Jesus to do things that even we know in our head, the Bible tells us not to. I think maybe what is a challenge though, and this is where a lot of, this is where the tension comes. If you were to ask me and you were to say, Pete, when you stuffed your face with four s'mores, uh, did you think you were doing something that was okay? And you'd be like, no, I pretty much knew after the first one I should have stopped, but I, they were just really good. And I think what the, cha- what the question a lot of people ask is not, okay, is it possible to have same-sex attraction or even be practicing yeah. and still have this sense of like, I believe in God, I know he's true, I know the Bible is true, but I feel all these things. The bigger question is, if you do believe in God, in this, and we're using believe God, not in the sense that a higher power exists, but are you a professing Christian? Are yeah. you somebody that accepts the Bible as God's truth? How do you do that? And then at the same time, basically just say, but I'm okay doing this. Like I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, this isn't wrong. And the person, I think the person might be asking, how can they have what what psychologists to use a really big word, cognitive dissonance? dissonance yeah. Like I'm separating two ideas. I hold the Bible is true, but I want, I believe that I am gay, and it's okay to be gay. How do I believe both of those things at the same time when they can't both be true? Um, and I think that's a the honestly, I might have just answered it. Psychologists yeah. call it cognitive dissonance. We find the ways to find peace inside of our minds. Um, even when it isn't necessarily logical, co- logically coherent. Yeah. And there's been there's been a decent amount of like scholarship that's been released over the last you know 10, 15 years that yeah. that has led some to believe that maybe there is biblical defense of like uh, you know that that homo- the homosexual li- lifestyle, so long as it's in a monogamous relationship, would be okay and stuff like that. So there are people that I know that I've talked to. They believe they're loving God and they're not having cognitive dissonance that the scriptures aren't speaking against the type of uh, relationship that they are engaging in, you know, so they would use the same yeah. argument that I use about why we should ordain women. They would say, Oh, Pete, the Bible says you shouldn't ordain women, but you have women pastors. So obviously you're explaining it away. Yeah. Um, or the Bible seems to suggest slavery is okay. And you're opposed to slavery. Um, so homosexuality, slavery, and women are three topics that have very similar ties in the way that we try to sift through culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you did a good job on Sunday um, you didn't have time to get into it. <laughs> no way. Like I think of those three things, if there's a spectrum of pretty weak and pretty strong, you know, I think slavery is on one end, the women are in the middle. And I don't actually think it's very good scholarship to try to explain away homosexuality. Yeah. Um, I, I really think the, the way they try to do it just doesn't quite work. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are people yeah. who are trying to be faithful to the Bible by reading it differently. Yeah. Okay. Next question, being with one man in a committed relationship for 12 years without being legally married, is that considered sexual immoral according to God? That's a hard question. Um, It depends on, I would say, I'm going to assume after 12 years being committed to somebody that there's sexual activity involved in this relationship. Maybe cohabitation. Cohabitation. It's possible. I I mean, there's also, here's the reason I, I state this, because my mother... My dad passed away, you know, five years ago. Has been in a committed relationship for the last couple of years. They're not married, um, and 
<laughs> I don't think she loses it, but there was a point. They were in separate rooms. It was it was all about companionship, playing pickleball and stuff. Like it was, it was it was it was friendship, and they were a committed relationship, but they were not married, and they're not they're not living together. Uh, but they would travel, and there was times that they'd stay a place, but in different rooms, stuff like that. So once again, I don't know the full context of the situation, but if there's sexual activity involved in this 12-year relationship, I would be saying when I described yesterday, porneia and that, that those realms, it seems like the fire in the fire pit is within the, the, the realm of marriage yeah. and not outside of that. Um, and so the question would be, why have you not chose to get married after 12 years? That'd be my question, yeah. Is it something that's uh, that's causing you to still have hesitation? Is it like, oh, you think that marriage is some now hijacked institution that has to be legalized by the government, but you've you've committed before the law of this relationship? I mean, there's so much there as well, but... But, but what I assume with 12 years, community relationship, sexual activity, that would fall under like pornea. Um, I, I mean, any commitment that does not welcome accountability, I would question the level of commitment, you know, and, and I don't know if that's fair. I, I, you know, I, I hope I, I don't fair. know this person's mm-hmm. situation here, but the way that we have, what we have created to create accountability in this covenant of marriage is promised to stay together for life yeah. is the institution of marriage. Yeah. And so if there is a resistance against that accountability within, within a marriage relationship, then I guess I would ask the question, a really heartfelt question if I was sitting with this person and say, are you intending to be with this person for life? And if you are, what's keeping you from getting, getting married? married? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when, we hear things like you mentioned, well, marriage is a broken institution, just ends in divorce anyway. So what's the point? It's like, well, if that's your starting point, you've already lost. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've already missed the whole point. If you're already, if you're choosing not to actually get married because you're assuming that this relationship is just going to end. I, I mean, like you, you literally have started off having already lost. And so like, that's the again hard thing about these questions is you want to have these conversations personally. You want to ask more questions. Yeah, I want to so ask more questions. That's what I'm like, if, is if he's not if, if yeah. he's not married, um, being with one man, so as a woman, if he doesn't want to marry you, um, I would love to just sit down and talk to you um, and yeah. talk about this relationship. You know, Paul does say that speaking to men, like if you can't essentially be honorable with her. Um, like you need to get married. Um, so if he's not wanting to get married and you want to, that's a whole different issue. Um, and I would say after 12 years, like, I don't even know. Um, if you both are just both saying, well, we're happy. We don't need, we don't need rings. The, 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 I think the, the honest truth is you, you don't need rings. Like you need commitment, but is it real commitment if you're not doing that just because you think you're going to break up one day anyway, yeah. Yeah. real commitment, putting the ring on is saying till death do us part. That's real commitment. And avoiding yeah. that is just giving yourself an out. And as long as you've Absolutely. given yourself an out, it's not real commitment. Yeah. Hmm. So, wow. you know, it's all right. I really, I do wish this wasn't a piece of paper, you yeah, know, I, I wish know, these were people, people in the room with us that we wrote. could talk and, they and ask are questions people, to. But, yeah. And we're trying to have a dialogue. So yeah. we're doing our best with what we have. Yeah. If you are one of the people that put in one of these questions, and you're kind of like, no, no, let me tell you what I meant. Please text, text back. Yeah. And, and I would know. love to yeah. even have a conversation on a deeper level as sure. well. Next question. How or why do we expect people who do not believe in the Bible to follow biblical guidelines on sex or anything else for that matter? I'm going to go through this one real quick. 
Okay. Because I felt like I, tar- I did address this yesterday. Okay. And I think that you start with Jesus before you start with the ethics of Jesus or the commands of Jesus and things like that. So um, I understand as a father having deep concern of wanting to have advocated in our culture the sex ethics that are purported throughout the scriptures. I also understand there's a lot of people who don't believe that. So I, as a father, have to kind of try to teach my children those things um, versus try to make it my goal to make them nationally instituted. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish our country would go that direction. I wish it was, and some people said it used to be, but at the same time, like my focus though needs to be on how do we introduce Jesus to somebody, let them see them, him and accept him as Lord and Savior. Yes. And then as they then give their allegiance to him, then it becomes like, okay, though, what is he, how's he called me to live? And he will address this Absolutely. aspect of sex and sexuality with them. Good. And uh, at that point, it's a matter of submission and obedience, just like it is for all of us in whatever the realm is. I think we're all in agreement. I think the hard thing with that question, though, is the last phrase, or anything else for that matter. Hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. I, look, you, you even pointed this out yesterday or on Sunday. Um, Leviticus 18 just doesn't talk about, doesn't just talk about homosexuality. Um, generally speaking, a vast majority of Americans believe that incest, bestiality, and polygamy is wrong. Yeah. Why? Because of the Bible. <laughs> and oftentimes you hear this when I, I'll talk to someone who's an atheist or something, and they'll say, I can have morality without God. And it's like, but you are living in the water that you're swimming in <laughs> has been by formed yep. by Judeo-Christian values. Um, murder is was not necessarily wrong in other cultures. There were cultures that would throw their babies in fires to worship false gods. I mean, like Vikings didn't consider murder that big of a deal, right? They would go and murder anybody they want. You, I, that was a great quote you had. Your, was that Tim Keller? Tim Keller. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the drive to just murder and plunder and take whatever you want wasn't considered wrong until the Vikings were converted to Christianity and were taught that that isn't God's will for your life. Yeah. And so today you live in the Western world, which is predominantly Judeo-Christian and we say don't murder adultery is wrong lying is wrong we're all following laws and the very idea that you're not supposed to speed in your car is rooted in the idea that a law should be passed which restricts your freedom in order to protect other people that is a judeo-christian value hmm. <laughs> like that's not that that those values didn't exist and in you, most and pagan you follow cultures. that law all the time don't I, you? I, <laughs> funny you bring that up yeah. Yeah. i actually had a, a local uh I'm california highway patrol officer tell me how fast i could drive without getting a ticket and that's what i sent my cruise to every day um but <laughs> oh, my point is like man. there are some What's things out? That's great, no. 75 okay uh there are some <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Travis. There are some things that we do expect people to follow because we think they're actually good or bad um, that are rooted in, in our beliefs. I think the challenge is we've now moved to a place that we are arguing over whether something is or isn't actually good or bad. And gotcha. that's hard. And I don't, I think you're right, Brandon. I, I mean, in those areas, I don't know. Like, I'm still going to, if somebody ran for public office on a platform that they wanted to make all forms of sexual behavior legal, I would not vote for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say, no, don't do that to our society. It's already bad enough. And that's within my right as a United States citizen to be able to make yeah. that vote. Yes. Too. So, my, we are fortunate to live in a culture, at least currently, that our religious convictions still can inform our political vantage points, but we can't try to politicize everything and make that the reason people follow well, if it's driven by a religion. I don't want to be on a soapbox here, but like I, this is something I think sometimes, like, sometimes I hear this statement. Well, Pete, the difference is whether or not this hurts somebody, right? Like this kind of sexual behavior is between me and my partner. Nobody's getting hurt by it. 
That's that's the line. Hmm. Which okay, fine. But just as long as you recognize that believing that something should be illegal if it hurts somebody else is a Christian value <laughs> that did not exist in the non-Christian world. There were not laws based simply on don't hurt, love your neighbor. Like love your neighbor is Christian. Every day we follow laws, hmm. whether we want to believe in God or not, that hmm. are rooted in the fact that a loving, good God wants his creatures to love each other and take care of each other. So all of our laws in America are based on that practically. Yeah. So yeah, I just, it's, I'm getting worked up and I'm going to calm down and let Robert <laughs> read right. the next question. He doesn't care about this stuff that much, but <laughs> hey, no. let's do, let's do one more let's and then let's it. save, I've got two, but we'll save those for June 25th when we do the digging deeper live. Okay. Um, only because I set a record, I think yesterday going 54 minutes of my sermon. And I think digging deeper last week was about 47 minutes. And so John, John's like, I didn't have work yesterday. So now I got to cut this video down. Let's so to stick it to 35, let's just huh? stick it to 35 and call it a day. All right. <laughs> um, which one do you want to do? You pick. You're the moderator. All right, here we go. Is there anything fundamentally wrong with drag queens or other of similar performers? <laughs> if so, how can we help others to see these issues as more than simply entertainment? Are they asking in the context of how... Are these the same... The Deuteronomy questions? That no, we skipped that. No. The Deuteronomy thing was just... It just said, like... It, it it's against statement. the Old Testament law yeah. to cross-dress. Yeah. Um, whew. Is there anything fundamentally wrong with drag queens or other similar performers? If so, how can we help others to see these issues as more than simply entertainment? I guess the first question, is there anything fundamentally wrong with drag queens as a performer? I have, if drag queen is a male dressed up as a female, yes, I think that is pretty much the, the Roman art form back in the day. Like all of Shakespeare, all Shakespeare yeah. and all those types of things. So, Probably not, but but what I have come to mind and what is depicted with drag queens is generally highly sexualized at this point. Mm. Um, so like right now, all the things about you know drag queens in the libraries and all that kind of reading story hours, like, and even some of the videos are out there. Maybe it's not fair. Maybe it diminishes the art of some people doing this, like as just males. You know, like for example, um, my daughter was in Mary Poppins, and every character was played by a female. Bert, the chimney sweep, was a female. Like, so if that's drag, because you're, then that's one thing. But when it becomes very sexual and there's like lap dances involved or they're like wearing fishnet yeah. stuff that's very kind of associated with eroticism, um, I do think that falls under porneia. And I think that's like the sexual morality. And I think it's also, I, have the, I would have the same aversion if it was a stripper that was heterosexual came and did story hour with my kids. Like the sexualization of youth is is a problem in and of itself in our culture. Absolutely. It seems like so. Yeah. But I think that like it, you have to at least be able to say like to dress up as another and act in that way. That that is actually a societal norm. But it's what we now see within drag queens. I think is what I assume what this person's referring to. Mm. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I don't have a ton of experience, so I'll, I'll go and default. To I don't yours. have a lot of experience either. So like I said, I'm also shaped by what I see on the news stations yeah. and all the people are upset about it. And, and if I go down to Hillcrest or North Park and some of that kind of stuff, like a lot of it in terms of drag queens is, is, is it's like licentious activity. Yeah. Like it's, it's so, um, yeah. I'd say not a good, good it thing. seems that way. So, <laughs> yeah. so forgive our, our ignorance on this topic. If there are other art forms that we're not aware of or something, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I think just to end though, um, it's completely not related, but I just want to say I, yes, on Sunday, the, I just thought how you started with, we, div, 
we demolish arguments, not people. Yes. It was so powerful. Yeah. It was just good. so powerful. Like I just, I wrote it down on my phone and, um, I sometimes struggle to separate those two things. Uh, cause I see the person and I feel like, you know, it's like, um, that's the argument and the person, right. Yeah. Um, but it's so powerful. And I think like just doing this podcast and, and, it's good. Anytime we have to touch on these issues and this entire series of tripping hazards, we're going to get into some other tough ones, right? Yeah. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Like there's some, there's some more big ones coming. And I just, I, I, I don't know, like just to keep that in front of us. And as people are listening to this and trying to process what we're saying, um, that it's, it's, we are talking about arguments and ideas and God has at times called us to say, let's speak truth into these things as much as we think we can but we're not demolishing people. It's not our yeah. heart. It's not our intention. And trying to, I think I really respect good, both man. of you guys for how hard I see Great. you trying to do that. And I'm going to keep working on it myself. Um, we're all a little bit processed with that, <laughs> but um, I just appreciated that on Sunday, Brandon. I thought yeah. it was really cool. And I think it set the stage well. So thank you. I think that sets a tone well for us too. And um, if you're listening as well and, as, as we continue to kind of talk about this topic, I think it's an important thing to keep in mind yeah. that we want to introduce people to Jesus, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're at, no matter what you prescribe to, I believe that Jesus is what you're looking for mm. and Jesus is what you most need. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, we are going to end there. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, like so sometimes if you have sent in questions and they haven't been addressed, we are also kind of pooling together some questions that we'll address on June 25th yeah. to conclude this series and do a Digging Deeper Live on a Sunday morning. Um, this Sunday, we're going to be looking at why am I not changing? Like, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, but he seems like I'm not experiencing transformation. What's up with that? Does that negate this whole Christian thing? And along with that, 13 people who have said yes to Jesus getting baptized. Woo. So we yeah, got to celebrate exciting. too. Yeah. So, uh, which is another video John's got to do for that too, right? Yeah. All right. All right. Let's yeah. get it. So thanks for joining with Just us. A few cuts. And um, <laughs> we will see you again next, probably Monday this time for Digging Deeper. So. All right. See you next time. Yeah.